Well, I hope you've found the 14th chapter of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. Last week, we were in chapter 13, and John told us about two different visions that he saw. First, he looked to the sea. He saw a beast come out of that sea. The beast ruled over every nation on earth. It warred against the saints. Then after he looked to the sea, John looked to the earth. He saw another beast come from the earth. It forced everyone on earth either to worship the first beast or to be killed. And it deceived the whole world. So chapter 13, John looks to the sea. He looks to the earth. But then at the beginning of chapter 14, he looks to heaven. With that, if you're able, would you please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. We're going to read Revelation 14, verses 1 through 5. The Holy Spirit says, Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his Father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they were singing a new song before the throne, and before the four living creatures, and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits for God and the Lamb. And in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. Well, you may have heard Johnny Cash saying, you're so heavenly-minded, you're no earthly good. The idea is that you, you shouldn't spend all your time just thinking about lofty ideas about God and heaven. You should be trying to make the world around you a better place. Well, author C.S. Lewis offers a different perspective. He writes in his book, Mere Christianity, a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective 
in this. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. Okay, so we've heard from Johnny Cash. We've heard from C.S. Lewis. Who breaks the tie? Johnny the Apostle. John wrote to churches with real, practical, nitty-gritty needs. The church in Ephesus needed to learn how to love again. The churches in Smyrna and Philadelphia were were facing imprisonment and death and persecution. The churches in Pergamum and Thyatira were giving in to idolatry and immorality. But John clearly believed that these Christians needed to be more heavenly-minded. Over and over again, as we've already seen in Revelation and will continue to see, he shows these churches visions of heaven. Because John knew that if you aim at heaven, you get earth thrown in. But if you aim at earth, you get neither. As you and I seek to follow the Lamb, we need to be heavenly minded. We need a vision of heaven. As we endure tribulation, we need to look to our heavenly home where we will finally be at rest. As we resist temptation, we need to look to our heavenly reward, which is greater than the greatest treasure that this earth has to offer. And as we bear witness before the nations, we need to look to the heavenly assembly which will include people from every nation and tribe and tongue. So here's the message of Revelation 14, 1 to 5 for us today. Look to heaven to endure on earth. Look to heaven to endure on earth. I've titled this sermon, When We All Get to Heaven. And each section of my sermon borrows a lyric from that hymn. As we look to heaven to endure on earth, first, let's consider when we all see Jesus. When we all see Jesus. The greatest pleasure of heaven is the presence of Jesus. John writes in verse 1, Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. This is a picture of Jesus with his people in heaven. Now, there's a literal mountain uh, called Mount Zion, uh, but, but this is a vision of the heavenly Jerusalem. In Revelation 21, John's going to see this heavenly Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, come down out of heaven to earth. God had promised throughout the Old Testament prophets that he would one day dwell with his people on Mount Zion. And as the people of God today, our certain hope is that one day we will be in the presence of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for all of eternity. 
What John's seeing here in Revelation 14.1 is a fulfillment of our hope. The fulfillment of when we get to be with Jesus. When we all see Jesus. John sees the Lamb, Jesus, with the 144,000. Now we first heard this number, 144,000, in chapter 7. John heard an angel in Revelation 7.3 saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And John heard the number of the sealed, which was 144,000. But then immediately after that, John heard, uh, excuse me, immediately after John heard the number of the 144,000, John looked and he saw a great multitude from every tribe and nation wearing robes that had been washed white in the blood of the Lamb. And what we see in that is the 144,000 are a picture of the church. All those Jesus died to redeem, Jew and Gentile. So the Lamb is on Mount Zion with the 144,000. Jesus is in heaven with his people. In chapter 7, we were told that the 144,000 were sealed Uh, But here we see what that seal looks like. On their foreheads was stamped the name of Jesus and the name of God the Father. Uh, We saw in chapter 13 last week, those who follow the beast have the name of the beast on their foreheads, spiritually speaking. Unbelievers are depicted this way to show that they belong to this satanic beast. But here we see that those who follow the Lamb have the name of the Lamb on their foreheads. Believers are depicted this way to show that we belong to Jesus. So let's be clear. If you truly belong to Jesus, you cannot have the mark of the beast on your forehead. It's very freeing and eliminates a lot of fears to remember that. If you truly belong to Jesus, it's impossible for you to ever willingly or accidentally get the mark of the beast in revelation 3 12 jesus made this promise the one who conquers i will make him a pillar in the temple of my god never shall he go out of it and i will write on him the name of my god and the name of the city of my god the new jerusalem which comes down from my god out of heaven and my own new name and here in revelation 14 john sees the fulfillment of that promise from Revelation 3. He he sees this vision of believers who have conquered, who have endured to the end, who have made it to heaven with Jesus. They're dwelling forever with Jesus in the heavenly temple, on the heavenly Mount Zion, in the heavenly Jerusalem. And this is our future if we trust in Jesus. If we belong to Jesus, we will be with him in his presence for all of eternity. And this is not just our future, this is the present experience of our Christian loved ones who have died to go be with the Lord. They are right now in the presence of Jesus at rest, knowing that they belong to him and they'll never leave for all of eternity. This vision of heaven should be a defining reality for those of us who follow the Lamb today. It should define how we live our life in the present. 
The author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12, 22, you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. If you are in Christ, you already belong to Mount Zion. If you have trusted in the blood of Jesus to save you from your sins, you are already on the roster of the heavenly Jerusalem. So look to heaven to endure on earth. Look to your heavenly home. Look to the place you belong. Look to that future to endure on earth in the present. This is how Jesus designed it. He designed us to live our life on earth by looking at our heavenly home. Paul puts it this way in Colossians 3, 1 and 2. If then you have been raised with Christ, which is, we just symbolized in baptism, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. If our home is in heaven with Christ, that means today we should live on earth as it is in heaven. It should be our prayer and it should be our life on earth as it is in heaven. In that same chapter I just read from Colossians 3, Paul says that what this means is we need to put to death that which is earthly in us. If we're in Christ, we're going to spend eternity with Jesus. And we need to start getting used to what that's going to be like. We're not going to be coveting then, so we shouldn't be coveting now. We're not going to be slandering then, so we shouldn't be slandering now. We should live today like Christ is present with us. Because he is present with us today. We should, Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts today. We should let the word of Christ dwell in us richly today. We should live by faith in Christ in us, the hope of glory, until we stand on Mount Zion with him. John wrote in 1 John 3, 2, We know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. On that day, we'll be like him because we will see him. And until that day, let's keep our eyes on Jesus and live like him now as we wait and look forward to the day when we all see Jesus. Look to heaven to endure on earth. Second, We'll sing and shout the victory. We'll sing and shout the victory. Heaven is filled with the song of the redeemed. Look with me again at Revelation 14, 2 and 3. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. So John hears this thunderous roar. And it's the music of heaven. 
You know, some common misconceptions about heaven have arisen from these verses. We should not take this to mean that the only thing we're going to be doing in heaven is singing. Uh, We shouldn't take this to mean that we're literally all going to be harpists all of a sudden. Uh, But, make no doubt about it, there will be exuberant singing like you have never heard in heaven. This is a picture of enthusiastic and joyful and passionate and meaningful worship from the saints. John says here that heaven is singing a new song. Throughout the Bible, especially in the Psalms, the saints sing a new song for a new act of God's deliverance. They sing something because God has done something. Uh, For example, in Psalm 98.1, the psalmist writes, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for He has done marvelous things. His right hand and His holy arm have worked salvation for Him. So this new song here in Revelation 14 is a response of praise to God for something He has done. And I think from the context it's clear, it's a song of praise to God for bringing His people home to glory. The only ones who could learn this song are the 144,000, we're told. That's because those are the ones who have been redeemed from the earth. Now, that idea of being redeemed is is something that we've seen already. Back in Revelation 5, John saw a vision of the heavenly throne room. He heard a new song there in that throne room from heaven, and they sang the praise of Jesus. They sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed, redeemed, purchased people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. If you have never trusted in Jesus, you won't be singing the song. You can't learn it. If you are trusting in yourself to make yourself right with God, this is not your song. This is a song for people who know we can't do it on our own. This is a song for people who know I was lost. I was a wretch. But God showed me amazing grace through the righteous death of Jesus for the unrighteous wretch like me. If you trust in the blood of the Lamb, if you trust in Christ alone, to save you from your sins, to reconcile you to God, to make you right with God. If you trust in Jesus, you have been given a song to sing. You've been given a song that you are going to be singing for all of eternity, a song that only you can know because God has done something for you. You are redeemed, you're purchased, you have a song to sing that no one else in all of creation can learn. Uh, We are all born into slavery to sin. On our own, we're bound to eternal death and condemnation. We owe God a debt that can never be repaid. No matter what we do, we could never earn our way out of this slavery. We could never earn enough to save our souls. But Jesus did the unthinkable. He did for us what he did not have to do. He did for you what he didn't do for angels or any other 
creature, he paid the price to purchase your soul. He paid the price to redeem you, to free you from slavery to sin, and to bring you to himself. He paid the price for your sin by dying to forgive you of your rebellion against God. He died to purchase you out of slavery, to bring you into his kingdom. And as he has done this, he has given you a song to sing. So let the redeemed of the Lord say so. For all of eternity, we're not going to be able to get over the fact that we've been redeemed. We're just going to keep thinking, I can't believe I'm here. I don't deserve to be here. I'm amazed that Jesus would purchase my soul with his life. But the song of the redeemed starts now. It starts today. We join in the song of heaven as we sing on earth today. Now, worship is much more than singing, but at the same time, worship is not less than singing. What I mean is that we should not miss just how important singing is to God. Over and over again, when God delivers his people, what do his people do? They sing. What's the longest book of the Bible? A book of songs. Many of the ways that people worshipped in the Old Covenant has changed under the New Covenant, but not singing. Jesus sang with his disciples. Paul and Silas sang in prison. We're to sing to the Lord. We're to sing to one another. We're to sing to ourselves. We're to sing filled with the Holy Spirit. We're to sing filled with the Word of God. Jesus wants us to sing because he's given us a song to sing. As we sing, Singing engages our body and our soul. It engages our emotions and our intellect. When we sing to Jesus, we are offering to him everything we are. We're taking all that we are and we're focusing it on the truth of his gospel that we might give praise and glory to the worthy lamb who was slain. So sing. When you're filled with wonder, at the cross. Sing as an expression of your joy and your thanksgiving for what Christ has done. Bring your offering of song to the Lord and worship of Him. When you don't feel like singing, sing. Sing to remind your heart of who God is and what God has done. To stir up your hope and faith in the gospel. To stir up your affections for God. Let singing be a way of reviving your heart. When you gather with your church, sing. Sing to build others up. Sing to remind your brothers and sisters of the truths that they need to sustain them, to give them hope. Your brother or sister may be struggling. They might be struggling to believe God's promises. They might be struggling to remember who God is. They might be struggling to believe that God really does care. And they may need to see and hear your faith to fuel their faith. Your song might be the wind in the sail of a struggling brother or sister 
when we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. So look to heaven to endure on earth. Third, lastly, let us then be true and faithful. If you're familiar with the hymn, when we all see Jesus, this might be the lyric that's the most uncommon to you, but it's the one that worked best with the text, so that's what we've got. Let us then be true and faithful. And it does capture the heart of what's going on in verses 4 and 5. When Jesus redeems his people, he sets his people apart. Look at verses 4 and 5. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits for God and the Lamb. And in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. In these verses, John describes the redeemed as holy and devoted to God. And he describes them as holy and devoted to God in four different ways. First, John describes the 144,000 as virgins. Now remember, this is apocalyptic literature. Symbolic language is being used. John is not saying that only virgins go to heaven. Praise the Lord. This is a picture of pure devotion to God. It's a picture. And this type of language is used to mean that type of a thing often throughout Scripture. Throughout the Old Testament, the people of God are rebuked for their unfaithfulness to God, which he often describes as adultery. Uh, In the next few chapters, uh, we're going to hear about Babylon, the great prostitute who corrupts the earth with her immorality. Uh, And then in contrast to the great great prostitute, John will also see a vision of the bride, the wife of the lamb, clothed in bright and pure linen. What we're seeing here is the the 144,000 have been faithful to God. They have not given themselves over to other gods. It's a picture of being holy and devoted to God alone. Uh, The second way he describes them is as those who follow the Lamb. Of course, in his earthly ministry, Jesus called his disciples to follow him. That's what it means to be a disciple. A disciple is someone who follows Jesus. And what we see here is that disciples of Jesus are going to spend all of eternity following in his footsteps and following no other Lord. They're going to be devoted to the Lamb. Uh, The third uh, way that John describes the redeemed here is as first fruits for God and the Lamb. In the Old Testament, the people of God were required to dedicate the first and best of their harvest to God and to offer it to Him in worship. The people were then free to use the rest of their crops however they wanted. Well, what we see here is that the church is described as the first fruits of mankind. God chooses the church as the portion of humanity that he sets apart to be dedicated to him. That's why Christians are called saints. That word means holy and devoted to God. And actually, at the end of this chapter, we'll see the final harvest of all of mankind. The redeemed, the first fruits, will be reaped by the Son of Man to be devoted to God. But the rest of mankind will be gathered and thrown into the winepress of the wrath of God. Well, finally, John says of the redeemed here, in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. 
Now, in the context of Revelation, we should understand John is saying something more here just than they don't fib. Uh, this is uh, this idea that their mouths are uh, filled with the word of their testimony. They're uh, filled with the, the testimony of Jesus. They're committed to the truth, and they don't embrace lies. They're committed to the truth, and, and they're not buying into the deception of the false prophet, for instance. Uh, they don't compromise on the truth of the gospel in the face of persecution. They stand firm in resisting deception and false teaching. They're blameless when it comes to their devotion to the truth of God. So all of these, all four of these descriptions are different ways of describing how the people of God in heaven are holy and devoted to the Lord. This is our future if we are in Christ. In heaven, we will be holy and devoted to the Lord. And we are called to be holy and devoted to the Lord now. As we live in the present, we are called to be faithful to Christ and to resist the adultery of idolatry. In heaven, nothing will compete with Jesus for our total allegiance. So, what are you devoting yourself to now that you will not be devoting yourself to in heaven? And what is the next step that you need to take as you seek to follow in the footsteps of Jesus today? As we live in the present, we're also called to be faithful to God's truth and to reject lies. In heaven, we will not believe the deception of Satan or the deception of this world. In heaven, we will not be persuaded to compromise with immorality around us because there won't be immorality around us. So are there ways that you are deceiving yourself into thinking that you can love Jesus and love the world at the same time? What disciplines are you practicing in order to root yourself in the truth of God and defend your heart against falsehood? When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. Let us then be true and faithful. Look to heaven to endure on earth. Look to Jesus whom we will see face to face. Look forward to the joy that we will experience in his presence. Look to the devotion that we're going to experience and let those heavenly realities shape the way that you live your life on earth now long before johnny cash sang and long before c.s lewis wrote one of the church fathers in the second century wrote the epistle to diagnetus and in that letter the author says this about christians and what they were like in the second century. Christians are distinguished from other men neither by country nor language nor the customs which they observe, for they neither inhabit cities of their own nor employ a peculiar form of speech, but inhabiting Greek as well as barbarian cities and following the customs of the natives in respect to clothing, food, and the rest of their ordinary conduct, they display to us 
their wonderful and striking method of life. They dwell in their own countries, but simply as sojourners. As citizens, they share in all things with others, and yet endure all things as if foreigners. Every foreign land is to them as their native country, and every land of their birth as a land of strangers. They marry, as do all others. They beget children, but they do not destroy their offspring. They have a common table, but not a common bed. They are in the flesh, but they do not live after the flesh. They pass their days on earth, but they are citizens of heaven. They obey the prescribed laws and at the same time surpass the laws by their lives. They love all men and are persecuted by all. They are reviled and blessed. They are insulted and repay the insult with honor. They do good, yet are punished as evildoers. When punished, they rejoice as if quickened unto life. They are assailed by the Jews as foreigners and persecuted by the Greeks. Yet, those who hate them are unable to assign any reason for their hatred. As it turns out, the only ones who are any earthly good are those who are heavenly minded. So look to heaven to endure life on earth. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this vision of heaven. Lord, I I pray that you would work in our hearts to fix our eyes on Jesus, that we would set our minds on things that are above. Lord, I I pray that, that each of us would ask the question, how would our lives be different if we fixed our eyes on Christ? If, if we looked to where Christ is, seated at your right hand, Lord, I ask that you would, you would change our, the way that we live on earth. And Lord, that my brothers and sisters would say no to that which is earthly because they have their eyes fixed on heaven. Uh, Lord, I, I pray that they would sing with joy and exuberance because they have been redeemed. And Lord, I pray that we would all live devoted to you. Lord, that we would not think that our eternity is going to be spent wholly and devoted to you. But we don't need to be living wholly and devoted now. I pray that you would dispel us of that lie, that there would be no lie found in our mouths, but Lord, that we would commit ourselves to you and to your truth. We would stand on the gospel and that we would live lives that proclaim the song of the redeemed. Lord, we love you and praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand and respond to the word of God that we've just heard.